As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we come now to this which is your word. And you say it's profitable for us in every way imaginable that we might grow up as followers of Christ would be trained to live in such a way that is pleasing to you. So now I pray that you will attend our minds and our hearts on this particular word this morning, uh, enable us to dig into it and cause it to be planted deep within us, that it would bear fruit in our lives. Um, And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Turn please to Ephesians in chapter 5. I want to read just verses 18 to 21, please. Ephesians in chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with, with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, some sermons, um, well, all sermons, I'll put it like this, all sermons are both instructional and um, are for exhortation, so teaching and preaching. And there's always some instruction and always some exhortation. Some sermons are more instruction than exhortation and some more exhortation than instruction. This one is probably a bit more instruction. There'll be some heat a bit, some some exhortation, but sometimes we're teacher-preachers and sometimes we're preacher-teachers. And today it'll be more, I don't even know what that means, but, uh, but I'll be teaching a bit this morning. So our learning instruction and we'll see how that applies, but it will be applied as we come into the weeks that that follow. Because I want to take up this morning what I didn't take up last Sunday as I was preaching through this passage, and that is verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I had planned on taking it up just as a piece of that, but I ran out of time significantly. So I thought, well, why not just take all of today with it? Uh, Because it can entertain our thoughts, I think, and captivate, I trust, our minds and hearts. Just this, this one this one expression, because it's summing up a bit uh, what Paul has been saying, and it's going to lead us then also in what is to come, this little expression, submitting uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submit, of course, is an explosive one. Uh, naturally speaking, we would rather lead and be an authority than submit to any. It feels like a loss of control. It feels like we're kind of under someone else. And yet it's a characteristic That's true of all Christians because it is a manifestation in us of the filling of the Holy Spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit, then we will be people who submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It comes in this passage. Don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And when we looked at what are the marks, if you will, or the evidences of the filling of the Spirit, we said that essentially at least in this passage, they're relational. They're about our coming together in worship, particularly, so that in worship we address one another, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So that's a gathering of worship. Um, 
We praise the Lord together. We sing, making melody in our hearts. Uh, and also we give thanks. So all of that comes in the context, at least in the context, particularly in the context of gathering together uh, for worship. And so when the Spirit of God is present, we're a body, right? We're baptized with the Spirit into one body. We know that we belong to the same household. We know that we're citizens of the same kingdom. We know that we're a temple where the dwelling place of God is among us, if you will, corporately. And so it shouldn't surprise us when the Holy Spirit fills us that it's something about all of us together, that we worship together, speak to each other, encouraging each other to worship. We uh, praise God together. We give thanks together. And, And now he says, here's another point of this. We're to submit. Now, to each other. Now, uh, remember, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's a command, it's a must, not, a, not simply just optional, but it's a must. It's here in plural, that is, it's, a, it's an all y'all, it's a plural together. We do this. Southerners are smiling, I appreciate that. But the, uh, 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 it's something that it's all of us, and all of us together, there's no special one that's Spirit-filled and the other ones aren't. No, this is for all of us. Um, all of us to be. And uh, not only that, you see, that um, it's, it's to be continual. It isn't a one-time deal, but it's something that's to be true of us daily in the context of our lives that we're to always live in this filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's continuous, always to be there, you see, in our lives. And we talk about being filled with the Spirit, but there's some other expressions that, that Paul's used about this being led by the Spirit. Another expression he uses is that we're to keep in step with the Spirit. Perhaps a uh, helpful passage here is in Philippians and, and uh, chapter 2, um, middle of verse 12. You know this passage, many of you. He calls us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Seeing the Spirit of God is at work in you. He's working in you. Now work that out. Live that out, you see. Be filled with the Spirit. He's in you. He's at work. Now work that out in the context of your lives. And then in this wonderful little sentence in Colossians in chapter 1, this, I, 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 I smile every time I read this sentence because I, I think, for lack of a better term, how cleverly written, how wonderfully written this sentence is. One little remark that sums up so much that I labor to think about. It's in chapter 1, verse 29. Paul's been speaking of his work and his ministry. And so he says, for this I toil, struggling. Well, he says, Paul says, I give a great, my whole heart to this, my effort. I sweat when I do this. this. This really takes all of me. I'm completely engaged. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You say, well, who is it, God or me at work? And the answer, of course, is yes. He's at work within, and we work that out. We are struggling, toiling with all his energy. That's the sense of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, you see. His Spirit is within us, as he puts it, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, so that we will be rooted and grounded in love. 
See, it's Christ in us by the Spirit dwelling, making his home in us, living that. And then we see that in the course of our lives. We're fully engaged. We're fully engaged. There's toil and there's struggle. There's commitment. We desire to learn from the Spirit what he teaches us in the Scripture and then to live that out, you see. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and so now, one of the evidences of that is that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what I want to do this morning, a very simple kind of thing. So I want to lay out some general points primarily around the idea of why is this so important? Why is it so important that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? And secondly, I want to then move to a definition of submission, if you will, and then take another quick look at how that's worked out in our lives. And then finally this, why is this a mark of the filling of the Holy Spirit? Why is it when we see this in our lives, we realize that the Spirit of God is at work in us? Why this? All right, you with me? So first... Why is this so important? Well, if I may say this, and I I trust it doesn't sound too flippant, it's important because it's in the Bible, right? That's the first thing that we realize. It's important because it's in the Bible. And why do we go to this scripture? Well, we go to this scripture because it's the word of God. And we go to the word of God because we wouldn't have thought this stuff up ourselves. Remember, it's God who says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. So how do we know God's thoughts and ways? Well, we go to the scripture. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we read things in the Bible that we wouldn't have come up with ourselves. Never be surprised when you read something in the Bible and you go, huh, A, I wouldn't have come up with that myself. B, I'm not sure I like that. Uh, again, submission is something that we don't like necessarily to be. I mean, if you say my, my, my position in life is to submit to everybody else, your first inkling might be, I'd rather not, right? It takes me out of control. It doesn't seem like I'm in control of my life. And why should I think of myself as under anyone else? I mean, really. But so it's important for us first because it's uh, in the Bible. And secondly, of course, it's, it's all over the Bible. It's in various places. We're called uh, to submit in various spheres of life. For instance, in Romans in chapter 13, in verse 1, uh, Paul again writes, Let every person be subject, same word, submission, uh, to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, Peter makes the same um, uh, plea in, in, in his epistles as well, that we're to be submissive to government authority. So we, we get it, we, we understand it uh, in that context, even in the context of church life. Uh, the author of Hebrews in, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 writes to the church. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. So let them do this with joy without groaning. Uh, that would be, for that would be of no advantage to you. Submit, he says, to your leaders. That is in the context of, 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 of church life. Uh, we see it 
uh, in marriage. We see it in the passage that's going to uh, come up next uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands uh, as to the Lord. Paul repeats this again in Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. He talks about it to Titus in Titus in chapter 2. Peter talks about it in First Peter chapter 3. So we see this sense of wives being submissive to husbands. But also we see sort of a life of submission. Children, obey your parents. Uh, bond servants, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, obey your earthly masters. Uh, we would put that in the area of work. Employees, uh, obey uh, your, your, your boss, if you will, uh, that sense of submission in that context. So we see it over and over and over again in various spheres of life, whether it's government, whether it's church, whether it's our work life, family life, um, marriage. Um, there's this sense of submissiveness. Now notice the motive. What's the motive for this uh, life, of, uh, life of submission? He says it's out of reverence, for Christ, out of reverence for Christ. You know, there's all kinds of motives to be submissive. Um, uh, it might just be in our best interest to be submissive. You know, if you're submissive to your boss at work, it may mean that things go better for you at work. I mean, it's just a smart thing to do. Uh, kids, trust me, uh, if, if, you'll, if you'll obey your parents a good bit of the time, I know it's impossible all the time, Good, but if things would just go better, right? You know, it's just, it's just wisdom, worldly wisdom. Things will go better for you. Uh, if, if students would just do their homework, right? Their te- your, your teachers will treat you so much better. It just go better for you in life. Uh, so it's worldly wisdom, but, but that isn't necessarily godliness, The difference between an ungodly act and a godly act is that a godly act is done out of reverence for Christ. Not just because it's in my best interest, not just because it will go better for me, but because it pleases the Lord. And so we submit to one another, not because simply it'll go better for us if we do in certain contexts, but because we do it because it's pleasing to the Lord and it reflects his character. One of the most amazing thoughts is the, that our Lord Jesus himself was submissive to his Father. In the incarnation, Jesus, the Son, voluntarily submitted himself to the Father to come and to give his life. And so over and over we read in the scripture various things, <clears throat> excuse me, about Jesus. For instance, in John in chapter 4, Jesus is speaking, and uh, he says this, verse 34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, the son submits himself to the father. And then again, just over in chapter 5, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, uh, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him, the will of him who sent me. And then in chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in chapter 12 and verse uh, 49, Jesus says, for I have not spoken of, on my own authority, but the father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. 
And then in chapter 14, in verse 31, uh, Jesus says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So he submits himself, Jesus the Son, to his Father. That's who he is. And you remember, when he was in the garden, what did he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. He submits himself, you see, uh, to his Father. That's the very heart of the Son, the very heart of the Father to submit himself. And so out of reverence for Christ, because it honors him, it pleases him, and because also, you see, it reflects him. Now this too. It's important because in God's economy, the way God arranges things, uh, he has a particular order. And in every sphere of life, as we've just seen, whether it's government, politics, whether it's family, whether it's marriage, whether it's work, there's an order. There's an order, one who leads or who is an authority, and then one who submits to that authority. We see it, uh, parents, uh, children submitting and obeying parents, wives submitting husbands. We submit to government authorities, workers submit to their bosses. We see there's a structure, there's an order, you see, in the context uh, uh, of life. Um, and again, <clears throat> Paul's setting us up because we're going to see it in the verses that are to come. And so... In one sense, this isn't really a mutual submission. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It doesn't mean that we submit in every relationship in the same way. Um, if that were true, nobody would go out the door, right? No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go, right? I mean, somebody's got to take the lead here. And so we're talking about submission. We're, we're, we're saying there must be someone who's leading and someone who's an authority in this situation. And that's the one to whom you submit. We say submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We mean that each one of us will find ourselves in situations where we must submit. That's the place in that relationship whether it's us to government, whether it's us to our bosses, whether it's wives to husbands, whether it's children to parents, we will all find ourselves in situations where we must submit. And he says, well, do it. Do it. Don't think it's below you, but do it. Because it's fascinating to me as I read this passage that the, one of the marks of filling the Spirit, he says, submitting to one another in, out of reverence for Christ. He doesn't say leading one another out of reverence for Christ. He doesn't say taking authority out of reverence for Christ. He says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why is that? Well, on the one hand, we could say he says it because not, some of us will never perhaps find ourselves in positions of authority or leader, leadership. It just depends on our lives. But all of us will find ourselves in one way, shape, or form, in a position of needing to submit. For instance, a husband may be the head of his household, but be called to submit to the government, called to submit, if he's in school, to a teacher, called to submit to his boss at work. Somebody may be a boss at work, but yet, if you're a woman, you'll need to submit to your husband at home. Uh, or if you're in school, you'll need to submit to your teacher or submit to the government. So all kinds of ways in which on one, in one sphere, you may be a leader or in authority, and yet in another sphere, be called to submit. And we'll all find ourselves, no matter where we are, 
called to submit. You may be an elder in the church and have some leadership, uh, but on the other hand, find yourself in submission in other parts of life, whether it's in school or whether it's at work, perhaps, or to the government, um, um, or as we have it in our polity as Presbyterians, elders take a vow to be in submission to their fellow elders. And so uh, elders always find themselves in submission in some way, shape, or form, you see. And so it's simply true that we find ourselves as those who need to have a spirit to be able to submit ourselves to others. So it's important for us to be able to do this. And I would suggest, and I think we'll see this in the, especially in the passage that follows, in order to be a leader, it requires a real spirit of submission. In order to be a leader, the best leaders are those who can also submit. The world gets this. In fact, there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the title was, The Best Bosses Are Humble Bosses. So even the world is confirming this, that now there's indices being created to test humility for jo- in the context of job interviews. And here's just a bit of that article. It says, in an era when hubris is rewarded on social media and in business and politics, researchers and employment experts say uh, uh, turning the limelight on humble people might yield better results. Humility is a core quality of leaders who inspire close teamwork, a rapid learning, and high performance in their teams, according to several studies in the past three years. Humble people tend to be aware of their own weaknesses, eager to improve themselves, appreciative of others' strengths, and focused on goals beyond their own self-interest. And so uh, the world um, sees humility, you see, as this great piece of leadership. They're just, of course, stealing that from Jesus. Mark in chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I love that. can't tell you how many times my kids came to me and said, Dad, I'm going to ask you something. I want you to say yes. <laughs> That's a giveaway. Um, and they said to Jesus, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, amazingly, that's my little editorial comment, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. In other words, you'll suffer. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten, that is the other disciples, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. You can only imagine, because what James and John were asking is, can we be above all the other guys? But essentially, that was it. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would 
be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, it's that sense of being willing, voluntarily willing, to put yourself at the disposal of another to serve them. Jesus said, that's greatness. Jesus said, that's how even you lead them. You lead them like that. I read earlier, right before our time of confession, a a shorter version of a similar incident, not the same, but a similar incident uh, from Luke uh, 22. This was amazingly during uh, the time when Jesus met with his disciples and he was betrayed. He was with them for this, what we call the Last Supper, if you will. That's when this dispute arose among them as to which one would be regarded as the greatest. Can you imagine? We should be able to imagine this because we're just like these disciples. They're in the presence of Jesus and they're wondering about which one among them is the greatest. It's like a bunch of little leaguers being in the presence of a great Hall of Fame baseball player wondering who among them is the greatest, looking, and then looking at that person, he goes, he's the greatest, right? Well, it's just amazing. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority uh, uh, over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. She's to be different with us. Rather, let the great, greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leaders as one who serves. For who is the greater one who reclines the table, one who serves, is not the one who reclines, but I am among you. I'm the one who serves. You see, he had served them that night. He had stripped down. He had humbled himself. He had washed their feet. Who was the greatest? If you saw a picture of that, if you saw Jesus all stripped down, washing the feet of the disciples as they're about to recline at table, you wouldn't pick Jesus. But he was the greatest. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, you see. Because you no longer see yourself as the greatest. <laughs> you really know who you really know who you are. And also this then. If we're going to grow as Christians, we have to have this 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 disposition, if you will of submission, to be able to submit to others. First of all, because as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, that God gives gifts to the church. Gives gifts to the church. And these gifts he gives to the church in terms of apostles and and, uh, prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He gives to the church so that we can mature, so that we can grow up in the faith. And so in one sense, you see, we won't grow up unless we're able to submit to them. To submit to the apostles' teaching and the prophets and to the evangelists who come and speak the truth of the gospel and pastors and teachers who teach from the word. We have to submit to that if we're going to grow, you see. And not only that, the Holy Spirit, we learn from other passages from 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, for instance, gives individual Christians gifts to minister, to edify the body of Christ. And so we must, on the one hand, submit to receive... What we need from others, 
by way of the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And also, we must be humble in order to give. And so you see, for us to grow, we must have this disposition, this spirit of, of real submission. So what is it? What's it mean to submit? Well, the word itself is fairly um, explanatory. Um, sub means under. Mission is to be sent. So to be in submission is to be sent under. Um, The Greek word, hupotasso, hupo, means uh, under. Tasso means to arrange. So the Greek means to arrange under. That's this sense of submission. If you're in the military, you would know it. It's, it's to mean be underranked, to be ranked below a, another. And so that's the sense of it, you see, that we are willing to be under, <laughs> that we're willing to be under the authority of, when appropriate, the authority of another, that sense of submission. So submission really is a disposition, first of all. It's a disposition of the heart, where one is willing to voluntarily place oneself under the authority, the leadership of another. You have that kind of disposition that you're willing, uh, you're willing to do that. Now, it's important as we think about this to realize a couple of things. Number one, submission to another human being or to an institution that's human is never absolute. It's never absolute. Our only absolute submission is to God. Um, we, we know that we needn't submit absolutely to government. That is, we should never submit to an institution or a person who would lead us into sin. You remember when Peter and John uh, were commanded by governing authorities, both in the church and, and uh, otherwise, not to preach in the name of Jesus. They said, well, we have to obey God, not men. Um, You remember the midwives in ancient Israel during the days of Moses when they were commanded by the Pharaoh to kill infant boys as they were born. Uh, They didn't. Um, You remember Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego didn't bow down to the statue, even though a government governing authority said they should. And Daniel didn't stop praying. Uh, so, so we get that. We understand we shouldn't be led into sin um, the same way uh, in other spheres of, uh, of life, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in family, uh, whether it's in your work. Um, we shouldn't, even in church, uh, allow leaders to lead us into sin. We see that throughout the scripture. So it's not absolute in that sense. And never is this submission based on a lesser, greater in the context of value of human life or value of one's life or intelligence or even competence. Uh, It may well be that in various situations, the submitter is more competent than the one to whom he or she submits. Um, Most of you think that in your lives in comparison, for instance, to your boss, right? Um, and uh, your teachers in some sense at certain times, you think that you actually are the more competent one. So you get that, whatever that may be. Some wives are way more competent, in, we could say, that, than husbands in certain aspects of life. And yet, still, 
there's the call to submit even to one who may be less competent, if you will, than you. We're all created in the image of God. And this submission is something that is voluntary. It's a willingness out of reverence for Christ and understanding his ways and his his world, of course. As I mentioned, that Jesus submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to the Son. I mean, this very one who fills us is one who is humble and submits, if you will, to the calling from Father and Son to glorify the Son. Uh, It's often written in theological terms that the Holy Spirit is humble, as Jesus is humble. Holy Spirit is humble. He glorifies Christ. That's his vocation, if you will. That's his his calling uh, to do. And certainly all of us as human beings created in the image of God, and particularly in the body of Christ where the apostle writes that in Christ there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, uh, male or female. We're equal. But yet we find that we are put in situations by God by his arrangement, uh, to be willing to submit in various spheres. Why then? Why then is this a mark of the Holy Spirit? Why, if we're being filled with the Spirit, we'll find ourselves willing to put ourselves under, to put ourselves as those who are in submission to others that may be in authority by God's placement over us. Well, what gives us that that disposition uh, of heart? Uh, First of all, when we're filled with the Spirit, it means we're being filled with the very presence of Jesus. And and we know about Jesus. Remember what he said? Uh, We find this in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says that he's gentle, he's humble, he's gentle, lowly in heart. He can be gentle with us. That's the very spirit, you see, of Jesus, to be humble, to be gentle. We're called to be just that, humble and gentle. When the Spirit of God fills us, we'll find a great sense, if you will, of of humility. And then this... Very helpful expression, they all are. But this helpful expression in this context uh, of uh, the apostle, where he writes uh, to the church in Corinth, and he says to them, now, what do you have that you have not received? that's, That's a statement that will put a human being exactly in the right place. What do you have that hasn't been given to you by God? What do you have that you haven't received? And for a Christian, especially in awareness of who God is and who we are, we know what that means. I've been given every good gift. I've been given everything by him. Without him, I'm toast. Without him, I'm nothing. Uh, if he stops, I stop. And so uh, that question is, is, is the very question. What do you have that you haven't received? And if there's any arrogance in us, That statement should take it away. Because you see, one who is willing to be submissive 
isn't one who's filled with pride, isn't one who's filled with arrogance, isn't one who's um, self-seeking, but one who is seeking the best of the other, that sense. It's one who, as Jesus said, who's poor in spirit. Remember the great expressions of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who get it, who, who realize that they have nothing in and of themselves to gain anything of blessing from God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They recognize this poverty of spirit in such a way that they mourn over it. They realize that they have nothing in order to get exactly what they need, which is the blessing of God, you see, which is the kingdom of God. So the one who's poor in spirit mourns over sin to be comforted. And then next, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. The ones who know they're poor in spirit and mourn over that and and come before God meekly and stand before other people in meekness. Not in weakness, but in meekness. In honesty. Who understand, I don't have anything that I haven't been given because I don't have anything. Because I'm poor in spirit. And so I come only trusting in the Lord. You see, the meek person, the humble person, the meek person is the one who trusts. The meek person is the one who trusts, not in himself or herself, but one who trusts in God. Jesus was meek even before Pilate, who was accusing him. How could he be meek before his accusers? Well, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus could be meek before his accusers because he trusted in the one who judges justly. Because he trusted. Psalm 37 is the psalm of meekness, if you will. It's the first time the expression that Jesus used, the meek will inherit the earth, um, was used. And it begins like this. Well, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him. He'll act. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Trust God. Be still before him and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the one who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, the meek, if you will, same expression, will inherit the land. So trust him. Trust him. You can trust him. So when... God calls you and you're in a situation where there's leadership and authority over you. He's saying the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ in you will work and you'll see it. That you can voluntarily, willingly submit. And you'll do this, you see, out of reverence for Christ. Passage I read already this morning. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says he appeals to them if there is any encouragement in Christ. That is, if you're encouraged by, by the work of Christ, by the presence of Christ in your life, if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, that is, the, the Spirit of God is at work in you in any way, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy and be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, that's what the Spirit of God is working in us, that kind of disposition. And when he works that kind of disposition in, in us, then we can willingly, voluntarily, may even say, joyfully submit to those in authority over us. Why? Because it's a manifestation of the presence of Christ in us. Well, who's he? Verse 5. Have this mind, this attitude, this disposition. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, that is, he was God, right? Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. See, we're all equal. We're just people. But there's times when God has ordered life in such a way that one is in authority over the other, one leads the other. And so, as Jesus was equal to the Father, didn't grasp it, but emptied himself of that glory and made himself nothing to being taking the form of a servant, being found in human form, he humbled himself. And this is how far he submitted. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then we can await in our own lives what we see here of Jesus. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God will not exalt us to that position. But he will exalt us. He'll raise us up. He'll bless us. He'll bless us. Let's pray. Father, pray for us that uh, you would work in us the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of humility, that we might have the disposition of those who aren't arrogant or self-assertive or self-seeking, promote ourselves, that not lord it over others, but rather have this disposition that we would be like those who would submit out of reverence for Christ. So please, I pray, work that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you there'll be elders available to pray. Um, this might be the day you submit yourself uh, to what God has called elders to do, and that is to pray. And uh, if you have particular needs, please come and allow us to pray with and for you. Um, and here's your hope. Here's your hope that God will do this in your life. Now to